When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. A couple weeks ago on this podcast, we talked with SZA about her great album, SOS, which came out at the end of last year. Maka Burkante joined me for that conversation. If you missed it, you should definitely go check it out. And SOS is still at the top of the charts. It spent six weeks at number one. And I'm not surprised. It's a pretty triumphant pop album. She does everything on it. There's big rock songs, big pop moments, great R&B songs. It turns out she raps really well. It's a pretty complete experience. So I thought we'd dig back into the making of S.O.S. and talk with three of SZA's collaborators. To start out, we'll hear from the producer-songwriter Rodney Jerkins, who is, of course, a total legend. He's worked with Beyonce and Michael Jackson and a million other people. We've spoken to him before on this podcast. And then we'll talk with Rob Beisel, who engineered the whole album and also made the leap to producer and songwriter on a bunch of tracks. And finally, we'll hear from another key collaborator, Carter Lang, who played with SZA Live, worked on her previous album, Control, as well as this one. He is a multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and producer. He's also worked with Omar Apollo, Post Malone, Mac Miller, and a bunch of other people. But again, to start our journey through the making of SOS, let's hear from Rodney Jerkins. It's good to talk with you again. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. So I understand that you recorded, I think, seven songs in (laughs) your session with SZA. And it was like right when the pandemic was hitting, right when you guys didn't know what was coming. You had no idea. Like literally the first, I think our session was like the first day of the announcement of the pandemic actually. Just started that day and, and SZA was pretty freaked out. <laughs> uh, we had planned to make a whole album together. That's what we were talking about doing. Just like locking in and doing a whole project together. We did like seven songs in the first day. I probably played, I probably created about, I don't know, maybe 15 to 20 ideas in front of her that first day. And yeah, it was just like super inspired to work with her and we had great conversations about her being from Jersey, me being from Jersey. And it just felt like it was like a good creative match. Yeah, for sure. And what came out of it is pretty great. So my understanding, the last time we talked, you talked about this documentary that you have in the works, but the ODB stuff on Forgiveness <laughs> came from footage in the documentary. Tell me about that. I'm the original G-O-D. Yeah, it was really interesting because the first day that I worked with is a, she was like, she wanted to do like a hip hop boom bap idea. And I went into my other room and I created the track that you guys know is Forgiveless now. But I did that track that same day. And we didn't really, we didn't work on it that day though. We didn't work on it till 2022, February. I went back to LA in 2022. And I I said, you remember the boom bap idea? She was like, (laughs) no. She was like, no, play it for me. And I played her the beat and she was loving it immediately. And oh yeah, we got to do this. We got to do this one. And I gave it to her to work on. And the funny thing is I was just actually just digitizing a bunch of my footage for my documentary that I'm working on. And I came across this old VHS tape from 1998 that had ODB. He was in my studio and I didn't have a session with him. He just was passing through and he just started rapping (laughs) about a hundred bars. And as I was listening to it, my mind got to go and I was like, I wonder if I could take his vocal off of this VHS tape, get rid of all, of course, the track that was in there and put it on top of this idea for Scissor. And I'm an investor in a company called Audio Shake. We take, we can take files and pretty much take stems and grab the acapella or the backgrounds or whatever it is. It's the horn parts, strings, whatever we want. And so I took, I took the vocals, I took the VHS, turned it into audio, put it through Audio Shake, and then just pulled the vocals out and timed it to my track 
And then I went back and played it for Sizzle. She was like, whoa, where did you get this from? And I told her the story <laughs> and, and the rest was history. That is wild. I guess they had to then go to the ODB estate and stuff and clear all that. Or you did. Yeah, yeah she was. And she was actually super. It's funny because after she finished it, she actually really stopped listening to it because she didn't think it was going to get cleared. So she really, oh, wow. she was like, didn't want to play it for the label or anybody because she was just like, we're not going to be able to clear it. And I told her, I said, I promise you we will be able to get this cleared. And she was just like, why are you so certain? I was like, because it was too incredible the way that it happened for it not to go to the end. There's nothing like a good musical story. And when you create something like this, I don't think you just create it and then it just falls off a cliff. I think it's something that becomes something that we tell people for years to come. This is how this happened. So I was adamant about it being cleared. And so I got a hold of ODB's wife in the estate and introduced SZA to them via Zoom and we got it cleared. Of course, when I talked to them, I was like, I need you guys to clear the, clear the visual for me for my documentary while we're at it. We're like one, one step at a time. So we focused on this. Yeah, they just, I showed them the footage and his wife just, you could see the joy in his wife and his son's face when he saw this footage that I had. One other song, Shirt. Let's talk about that. Shirt. Yeah, it's funny how things happen because Shirt was actually probably the first or second song that we did together that same day in 2020 and it was to a completely different track actually that's one of the famous Rodney Jerkins stories is that he likes to do the tracks over after he gets the vocal like I did with Say My right. Name and so many others but I played her this idea that I felt was really futuristic I called it the 2030 beat or whatever and she wrote to it and fast forward maybe six months later me and one of, one of my other co-producers, Freaky Rob, were hanging out and we pulled up her vocals and we were like, yo, let's mess around with this to see if we can do something different to it. And so we stripped it down and just kept her vocals up and then recreated a track. I then sent her that idea and she posted it on social media immediately. This is September. <laughs> this is September of 2020. And her fans got a hold of what she posted and they turned it into this whole viral TikTok movement that I think garnished somewhere about 700 million TikTok views. And that was like two years ago. So the song didn't even have a title. It wasn't even a title. The fans actually titled the song Shirt because we didn't have a title yet. And it wasn't even a song, by the way. It was an incomplete song that she basically just teased the word out on TikTok. And the fact that the fans embraced it pushed you guys to go and finish it. Is that the deal? We were going to finish it. We didn't know when because we always loved that idea. <laughs> um, you know, if it was up to me, it would have came out right after that in 2020. I kept on telling her, I was like, we got to finish this now. Look at what's going on. They were going crazy for this song. But she wanted to take her time with her project. I want to say we did seven or eight different iterations of that song. I have two songs on the album. There's the rest that didn't go on the album that she's been contemplating on. She was contemplating on putting another one on the album that we did. Hopefully that'll see the light of day some, someday too, because it's really good, really strong. We got a couple more strong ones that, that we believe in. Uh, hopefully we'll figure out a path for those to come. But we really focused this year on just making sure we got shirt and forgiveness right and got it to a place that we both love and that we're happy with she doesn't want to be seen by any means as just an r&b artist but she's so no. good at r&b though <laughs> and you know what it, at least the way i see it is she's so good at r&b but yet she has a tone that's able to cross over the way she writes her songs the way she uses her voice and phrases her words could very well be pop mainstream as well. So I would love to, I would have loved to do like a full project where I'm, I'm selfish in that way because I felt like we had, well, out of all the things that we did, it proves that we have musical chemistry. And hopefully one day that'll come to fruition, but it would have been cool to do a whole R&B project with her, but you never know what the future holds. So we'll see. Next up is my conversation with Rob Beisel. We start out by talking about something SZA said on the podcast the other week, which is that a member of her team threatened to quit the music industry entirely if SOS wasn't a hit. Was that you? 
That was me. Yeah. <laughs> what was your thinking there? Honestly, I just could tell she was so. Um, it just felt like she was needlessly uh, stressed about the way the album would be received. And to me, it just felt so undeniably good. And I just wanted to like make a bold statement that um, demonstrated my confidence in how I felt like people might receive the album. I don't know. I'm a big, big college football fan. And one of my favorite like moments of all time is Jim Harbaugh before he played Ohio State many years ago. He made a big uh, guarantee that he, he said, I guarantee we will beat Ohio State. And they went ahead and did that. So I just felt like I needed to make a bold claim here and so you really made a, a very cool transition from engineer to producer writer as well on this album and i think that from what i hear that's the way you want your career to be going forward as more producer writer yeah no definitely um it, it was like a organic sort of transition with her i've been like producing and writing for a while but definitely not like on a stage like this and it was pretty amazing that she gave me the opportunity to step up and prove myself you were working with brick rubin so tell me how you got picked up by SZA and brought into her world yeah we first met here and there at the studio like several years ago she would pop in and out just because she's a friend of rick's and then january 2020 i got like a text that rick wanted me to go out to just work with her in Kauai. she just needed someone to record her and it just worked out i was trying to make the next steps away from the studio at that point in time i'd been there for like six years at that point and it just felt like i think i've hit my ceiling here and i had actually like funnily enough a year or two prior to that kind of in my head said i think my next step if there's an artist i really want to lock in with long term it's SZA, and that was always in the back of my mind and lo and behold it just fell into my lap like that obviously there was like a long epic process to making this album when i was talking with SZA yesterday we compared it to avatar 2 <laughs> like it's just this monster recording process that went on for quite a while. Take me through the sort of steps and locations and stuff over the years, starting from the beginning. Yeah, I guess our first like introduction together was in Kauai at Rick's house out there. He has a little compound there and we just turned his guest house into a studio. He has an actual studio out there, but there was like another session for a project that he was producing that was going on simultaneously. We just made do and built a cool little uh, setup there. It's nice that it wasn't even like a proper studio just because it took the stress away. It felt more like hanging out at home. It's kind of very low key. Um, and as we were wrapping that up, I remember we start seeing like in the news, like things about like you should wear a mask when you're flying on the plane. This is like end of January 2020 here, just to refresh ourselves. And I'm like, what are masks? What is COVID? And it just, everything felt so insane and just felt like, yeah, all right, it seems like we're overreacting a little bit here to whatever this thing is. <laughs> uh, we get back to LA. She hits me up like a couple weeks later saying, hey, I'm working over at Rodney Jerkins studio for a couple days. You want to come work with me over there? So I went and did that. And then a day or two into that, like the NBA shut down, her March Madness the college basketball tournament shut down. And it's like, okay, this is a very real thing, whatever's going on here. And we take a break for a couple weeks, waiting to see what's going on. And then after like, yeah, two or three weeks, we started working over at Sizz's house. She has a little, little home studio there. And then we spent like the first kind of year together just working out of her house, just the two of us. And it was, I don't know, pretty magical. It was a great way to like build up that rapport and that relationship. And yeah, we just moved, made a lot of music, just the two of us locked in there. Yeah. And then from there, after like a year doing that, we started trickling back into proper studios and stuff. We were at Conway for a little bit. We were at Shangri-La in the chapel there for a little bit, which is cool. That's like my home base. And then eventually we made our way over to Westlake where we spent, I'd say, a pretty... Out of all the studios we went to, it was definitely the one that we spent the most time at, that bouncing around the different rooms at Westlake. How long were you in Kauai and how much was accomplished there? We were there. She was there for like four or five days. I stayed a little bit longer to help out Rick with some stuff on this other project he was doing. But we did a lot. We made the song Nightbird that she put out on SoundCloud. Real drugs not into that. We made the song Joni. Or at least I started that. 
while we were in like the same night essentially and i'm trying to think what else we did it might be about it but yeah in a couple days we made two things that have actually seen the light of day so not a bad ratio for a couple days of work yeah nightbird was a beat that she had from dahi and we just cut to that we tweaked the vocals a little bit after but that's kind of like you know what essentially what we started with is what we finished with aside from some vocal tweaking the song Joni definitely took a couple like twists and turns like that that was pretty fun like she had a, a beat from cody and she was just like trying to like freestyle to it and she was like trying to channel different people while she's like freestyling and it was almost like i don't know it felt like karaoke or something because she would just have me like call out different like artists to like channel on the spot so i was just kind of like going through my rolodex of artists for her and that was we've had a handful of like magical nights that i look back on as like you know definitive moments in the album making process and that was definitely one of them we just felt okay i think the two of us can do something really special here and uh, yeah that was a nice little introduction and that one we cut to a different beat but uh like for whatever reason i just like couldn't I kept hearing what she was singing on top of the Elliot Smith song, Angelus, just on top of that guitar part. Wow. I don't know why. I think it was something about her, like, cadence. I, don't, I, I didn't know what it was. I think I also just thought it'd be really interesting if the two of them could somehow collaborate, which obviously is not possible. But yes, yeah, so I just took her vocal and put it on top of uh, the Elliot Smith, Angelus part to see, just as, like, a fun experiment this was like the first few weeks of covid and i was just like i had all this free time like i might as well just see what this sounds like just because it keeps popping into my head and it was just worked out insanely well like the keys and tempos were like pretty similar and the chords were different but somehow like weirdly overlapped in a cool way and i just like showed that to her as a fun little experiment like, hey don't hate me but i just wanted to hear what this would sound like and she ended up like loving it and that was the version she ended up putting out so i hope someday she puts out that version and uh the uh original version because that's like very special in its own way too just a very different vibe let's go through some songs that did make the album <laughs> like uh, yeah. kill bill what were the origins of that that i've been just like sending little ideas carter and i make a lot of stuff together but I'd, every so often we'll send him just like a little batch of ideas that stuff that i like that i don't necessarily know what to do with it next and i'd made this little fluty mellotron kind of thing on this profit that i just bought the synth and i sent it to carter and he just did this like crazy like boom bappy drum flip on top of it i'm like wow that's not what i imagined at all but that's really cool and really inspiring and then we just fleshed it out from there we played it for sizza and i didn't think it was something that would really like jump out of the page for her but like out of the six or seven things that we played for her, that was the one that she gravitated towards the most. And it kind of like sat on the shelf for a couple of weeks, but like one night it was just me and her at the studio and she like asked me to pull that beat up and I play it for her. She's just kind of like quietly humming to herself. I couldn't, I wasn't sure if she was like texting or if she was like scrolling the internet, but she was writing down lyrics and it's kind of silent for like five or five to 10 minutes. And then she just says to me like, all right, I have an idea. This might be a little too crazy, but let me know what you think. And then she just like hums, sings like the, you know, word for word, the hook of that song, the I might kill my ex. And I just I was like, yep, you just did it again. It was just like instantly undeniable. I felt the analogy I, like, I've told the people a few times is like, I felt like one of those, like, like a pitcher in baseball when you throw the ball and just from the sound of the ball hitting the bat, you don't even have to turn around. Like you already know they just hit it out of the park. I don't even mean like, metaphorically in terms of a hit but i just knew like whatever she just wrote is the type of thing that is like 100 percent going to resonate with everyone and i don't know i just it just felt so unquestionable that she had just worked her magic once again and i knew if we could just get some cool verses out in addition to that we'd have a really strong song if you did that <laughs> and tell me about the relationship between you and carter lang like how did you two hook up we've known each other for a while through shangri-la actually he had been in and out with a couple of different artists and so yeah we've been on each other's radar for a while but i think in this one in this particular album we re really reconnected through the song f2f she had asked us like to come together to make some like 
rock vibes for her. So Carter and I like linked up and for a couple of weeks we just like, cranked out a bunch of like rock beats essentially. And yeah, that we I think we just realized pretty quickly that we have a good little synergy together. We do things like very differently, but very harmoniously at the same time. Susan said that she recorded at least in addition to the kind of arguably you could say like there's a bunch of ballads that are kind of like rock ballads on this album. But as far as like rock, like F2F, she said she recorded like five or six songs like that. Yeah, Does no, that sound right to you? it's definitely in that ballpark. And I would say that I don't want to like somehow inadvertently get myself in trouble here, but I would say that the final beat that she cut to the F2F beat wasn't even like our strongest beat. I think it just it was the most like open and easy for her to write to and envision herself on. And I don't know, I learned a lot through that because we made all these like fancy beats that are super like intricate and complicated. But at the end of the day, if like someone can't like write to it or hear themselves on it, that doesn't really do you any good. And how did Lizzo get involved with writing the lyrics and singing a little bit on that? She was at the studio the first time that started freestyling to it. And she took a pass of just freestyling on the beat as well. And she like there's these like high pitched up these like chipmunked falsetto vocals at the end of the hooks and that's actually like lizzo just pitched up an octave from her like original freestyle i've had people like who've heard that song a million times and like wait where is lizzo on this and it's just that little part but she also helped with some writing in the bridge section too so yeah she was definitely involved and are there actually more lizzo scissor outtakes there's definitely a handful yeah i don't know what her plan is but there's definitely a handful are they part of the rock she was joking that there, we were joking that there's like basically a potential rock EP there. Are they all in that rock van or are they all different kind of stuff? All over the place. Yeah. We just happened to have that one pulled up the day that, that Lizzo was there. So, wow. um, yeah. so probably potentially some full on duet type things exist. I don't want to incriminate myself here, but <laughs> there, there's some stuff floating around for sure. Very interesting. A lot of people love snooze. around for that at all i was like the day that she wrote it yeah like it was it hit me up like really last minute to come work with her in babyface so yeah, i pulled up to his beautiful studio and it was babyface his engineer it was and then chris and leon and uh, yeah it was just a one of those like magical days like we spent several hours like writing to one thing that it was cool and i really liked it but i felt like i could tell she wasn't that sold on it and then at the end of the night we're just kind of like uh trying to blow off some steam a little bit and they just played like a another beat just kind of out of the blue and she just immediately hopped on that and wrote the song snooze in probably 20 or 30 minutes it was just very like stream of consciousness and effortless she just she didn't overthink that one she just stepped up and it poured right out of her and how about the ghost in the machine the phoebe song How did that all come together that was that was cool that was like a little it started with a little like drum loop that my friend matt cohen had sent to me and i just played some piano and some keys around it and then i showed it to carter and we fleshed it out and like kind of did a pretty major overhaul on it put a lot of time into that one and i played it for SZA and i didn't like fully i didn't know how she'd take it i didn't know if she'd like we had just recorded blind like a, a few days before that and so it felt like she was in that world already and in that headspace and i played her that and she just again wrote that one in 20 30 minutes just like off the cuff and that's we've come to realize that's how, like how her best stuff comes about but yeah and then uh, we had this big open instrumental section in the middle and i'd always thought like SZA and phoebe would be a really cool duo for a song at some point in time that was like kicking around in the back of my head and i suggested to her and she's like hell yeah let's do it and uh, we just she she hit phoebe herself and then i, I reached out through some, some friends and connections of mine and uh, yeah that was i reached out through my publisher specifically nick brawl i gotta give him a shout out he definitely went the extra mile to help make that happen and uh yeah phoebe pulled up like a week or two later and she's like in the studio with us and we're just like chatting for like you know a couple hours or something just catching the vibe and Phoebe's like I got something I don't know if it's good if you guys hate it I won't take it personally and I can just do some like ethereal background vocals or something like that and we're like I'm sure it's gonna be fine like why don't we just hear what you got and she steps out into the booth and just like 
literally top to bottom sings that that verse like exactly as it is you recut it at one point wow. but but like lyrically and like melodically it's, it's identical to the very first take and it was just yeah like we are or you are who we thought you were just it's just phoebe being phoebe that night i had to catch a red eye to mexico city for a friend's wedding and i like stumble into this airbnb at 7 a.m the next day the airbnb had five or six records on the wall of this, this apartment and one of them happened to be uh, Ghost in the Machine by the police. So it just felt like this like very eerie, I don't know, good omen of what was to come. How about I hate you? And if you wonder if I hate you I do you to make me feel just like That was a, 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 again one of those less than an hour kind of ideas like she, it was like late at night. We had been working on something that maybe had been like stressing us out, and we just wanted to take a little break, do a little left turn. And Cody pulled up to the studio, and Cody asked me, like, "Hey, do you have any loops or anything that I could build some drums around?" And I coincidentally had just made the "I Hate You" loop the day before with my friend Dylan Wiggins, and he just put some quick drums on it. He was starting to go deep and put more layers into it and she just cut both of us off and she's like no i like it how it is let's just let's start writing to this and she just hopped on the mic and within 10 minutes she had the hook and then the verses came pretty quickly too and it just felt like yep one of those one of those again one of those magic moments of the music just like flows through her and i feel i'm not like a hyper spiritual person necessarily but it just felt very otherworldly the way it came about in that moment just like inexplicable how quickly song just flowed through her it was yeah pretty special i wanted to ask about this song special i wish i was special i gave all my special away to a loser it seems to take some inspiration from radiohead's creep what do you remember about that coming together and that inspiration i feel like that was like a subconscious type of inspiration almost i don't know like radiohead was never referenced and the thought crossed my mind as we were recording it but i didn't want to like necessarily create a creative speed bumps or set a creative agenda by like pointing that out and addressing it because i didn't want that to necessarily like influence how she wrote i just wanted it to just be what it was and so yeah i just stayed out of the way in terms of pointing that one out i think she just came to that on her own i think benny was super involved with like conceptually on that too but she just stepped up and again it just flowed out of her as the best songs tend to do with her have you discussed that reference with her to this day or is it still always yeah no we, yeah. We, we've talked about it yeah yeah i think other people have pointed out to her too and yeah it, it just felt like the type of thing like we we could always circle back on it and draw more influence from Radiohead potentially but for this first initial version of it let's just let it be its own thing and draw inspiration from herself as opposed to from someone else it felt know, like by the time the final arrangement hits that maybe you were playing with the reference a little bit in, in some of the music but I could be wrong in addition to just like the melody and lyrics the slight sort of spiritual resemblance but then even in the way that the song, the production develops, that maybe there's a couple nods to Radiohead, but I might be hallucinating. I don't know if those were like super conscious, honestly, but I could, I hear what you're saying. And like sonically, the strummy acoustic guitar feels exactly. like, I don't know, like fake plastic trees or something like that. Yeah, I don't think any of that was like super intentional and it wasn't meant to be like on the nose in any sort of way. It just was its own thing. For Open Arms, it was so creative to put Travis Scott on a ballad like that. It wouldn't be like the first obvious move. Yeah, no, that, that was definitely the point. She had been like talking about songs that he could potentially be a feature on. And I don't know, I just to me, it felt like she had done the kind of up-tempo slightly trappier thing with him poppier thing on love galore and uh, it just seemed like we, there's no need to repeat the same play from that playbook like what what's something you wouldn't expect from travis i suggested that one and thinking that she would laugh at the idea and she ended up passing it to him, the beat to him and he just sent that verse back like a week or two later like at the very final hours like literally me and travis's engineer derek 206 derek we had we, we linked up at i don't know 10 or 11 p.m. and we're up until 3 or 4 a.m. like mixing in Travis's vocals and then we got it to mastering the Mr. Dale Becker that night and he was up until 5 or 6 a.m. mastering it and then we like turned in the album the next day so it was like 
very bang 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 but uh, yeah it, it all worked out so yeah no definitely not like the obvious feature for someone like him but it just seemed like why not put him in a world that people haven't heard him in before i think low is a cool story that came together in the final that was the last like song written to be made to make the album we wrote like one or two things after that but that those someday we'll see the light of day i hope but that was the last the final song to be written to to make the final track list if that makes sense and that was like a loop that my friend sanj alessandro bucciolati and i had made like a year before and through my friend shot at sony music he passed that loop to this producer i i wasn't familiar with and have never met to this day this guy air atlantica and he put some drums on it, flipped the loop, and sent it back. Not even necessarily with SZA in mind, but he sent it back to me. And I was like, this beat is crazy. And she, like a, two or three days later, said she wanted to write some like hard, up-tempo-y, grungy, not 90s grunge, but <laughs> grungy songs. And I just pulled that one up. And the timing was just happened to work out. And yeah, she just did her thing. And it, lo and behold, it somehow made the project in the final hours. So that, that was a really cool, a really special one for me. <laughs> how, um, like, how close to the actual release did this happen? I want to say the week of Thanksgiving. Whoa. Like very recent. Yeah. And it seems to be, a, I keep seeing it like pop up on social media. <laughs> like I saw Kendall Jenner and Kylie Jenner both reposted it. So it seems to have some sort of traction right now. Yeah, just, I don't know. It's cool. And it's uh, trying to wrap my head around that one just because it was the 11th hour. And it seems to be something that people are gravitating towards. But that was all SZA just saying like, she felt like something was missing in her project. And uh, I just learned to trust her when she says stuff like that. Because I think it fills a really cool sort of pocket in the project. One of the things that SZA talked about is this push and pull between like her label, what her label wanted, what she wanted, and how diverse this project should be, whether it should be more in all one vein or just a chronicle of all the different genres she's played with over these last couple of years. Did all this come in? Hey, wow, we're doing a lot of different stuff here. How is that going to work? Or how did that kind of affect the actual writing, if at all? I wouldn't say it did, but like, directly necessarily but i will say that like anytime i played her like an idea i always made a point to have it not be up the middle r&b vibes i just hey it's not really like my wheelhouse necessarily and i know there's plenty of people that specialize in that and i don't know it's just not something that i kind of think i would naturally make on my own so i just play, played her the stuff that felt like cool and easy and natural to me and uh i also just have always felt like even before i worked with her like oh it feels like disrespectful and I've heard her use the word lazy. I'll reuse that word lazy just to call her an R&B artist. And yeah, I think we just wanted to really prove, at least I wanted to help her prove that she is a lot more than just an R&B artist. She's everything. She's a rock star. She's, she can rap better than pretty much anyone. She, she can do it all. And she's one of the best writers of all time. So it, it, that was my hidden agenda just to help her showcase all these different sides. I think that was one of her goals too. I don't know if we ever outright spoke about that necessarily, but all you have to do is hear the album. <laughs> yeah. No, it speaks for itself. I think hopefully. Realistically, how many finished songs are there from this project? There's a lot. I don't know. I don't know specifically off the top of my head, but there's a lot. And it wasn't like there's not like hundreds, but there's a good number of really good songs that pretty much any art, like finished songs that pretty much any artist would kill to have on their project. It wasn't like us like scouring through like little scraps of ideas. It's like picking from really quality pieces to, to make the final album. And there's some amazing songs that didn't make the project. So it just is what it is. And I'm sure those will all make their way out there at some point in time. But yeah, no, it was a very good problem to have where we're not we're picking between a bunch of A-plus ideas. Congratulations, man. What are you working on next? <laughs> working on taking a nap for a couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> that's my agenda here. But no, I'm looking forward to next year. I'm doing more stuff with SZA and uh, just seeing what comes. Yeah, I'm super excited about the future here. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. And finally, to go through even more of the making of SOS, here's my conversation with Carter Lang. But yeah, so obviously you go way back with SZA. How did you first come her way for control? We have a mutual friend, Peter Cottontail, and we were bouncing around studios in Chicago, Peter and I, and we linked up in the studio and we were just making, just casually joining a session that we were not necessarily a part of, and I met SZA there. And I came back the next day to the studio in Chicago. That's where I was living at the time. And she was visiting and we worked on some other stuff. And I was pretty, I wasn't really sure like what we were getting into, but I could tell that it was the start of something like a new musical relationship. I was like really stoked to have something that was like out of the whole Chicago circuit. So I was excited. And then about a month later, I got invited to play with her Lollapalooza and another mutual friend of ours script, who's just like, one of the just basically fam, been family for forever for us and he he was part of the chicago music scene this burgeoning scene in like the in 2010 to 2000 i was just coming back into the scene and script was work, working through that scene and so we saw each other at a jam and he's hey i think she might want to take you on on tour the basis has dropped out and so a month later i got this call and i started i played Lollapalooza with her and my friend sticks was on drums and then before we knew it we were on this tour and then before we knew it we were making music together just because <laughs> i love the idea of playing live because all my friends were doing that with the chant stuff and vic and everything i was super stoked to play live but the studio was where i was always flexing my muscle throughout college and was really trying to figure that part out so it was like such a simultaneous thing like we were touring and we were working and it wasn't really until like we got done with our little mini tour of z or whatever like the that i didn't even know that music then and so after that like little mini tour we got to work and i got introduced to some of some people that are my best friends now for life process wise what were the key differences between sos and control in your experience the main difference was i didn't really have i didn't have like a base out in la so we were all traveling like gypsies together through like different airbnbs and i'll rent a car she'd get an airbnb and then we'd be like subjected to the different studio times and la studios really just we're all like i was pretty you know i've been in sessions but like we were hitting all the big ass studios and that was it was fresh and it was definitely and it's something that like we were just exploring our like abilities together really just just everything was pretty brand new and i think for this time i felt the same way because we were in a whole new horizon too like being back out here, I moved to LA officially like almost three years ago, and I just been bopping around. And it wasn't until like I could really sink my teeth into this to my studio here and figure out that type of that balance. And for me, that was like the biggest difference in the process because it's like being out, like you know, being living in LA and not like chasing every studio session, being like, this is where I'm planted, this is where I'm going to get the best, my best work done. Obviously, you have to like quote unquote hop off the porch and put your antennas out there to see what's going on and maybe working smart but having the for me having the studio and being able to like to brainstorm with my friends on the on, on making the music because even the process and control we'd make the music and then we just let her do her thing it wasn't like we we're always all jamming at the same time like when we do that's cathartic and something beautiful could come from that amazing but like in all reality it's like we're like even when we were doing like the like working at my family michigan house on control we were doing like love galore and broken clocks we didn't know what we were gonna make we were just going out there to free ourselves from like the la studio circuit and just link up with each other but that was the same thing like the studio i made a studio in my basement she was upstairs recording so it's like whether my studio's in glendale and she's in hollywood recording it's just like the same but different but it's really great to, to have a space where i can focus and have all my stuff around me and have my homies around me 
that are able to just roll through and make some challenge each other musically till we like finally find the best thing for the right for the song so that's been super dope and that's elevated the sound for sure we were like not that we were lucky on control but we were just doing our thing it wasn't premeditated and we didn't want to premeditate this either so it's like how do you like on how do you get past that sometimes i had to make we had to make different versions of things i had to make different versions of things just to understand like how to get out of the box that we're trying to be put in how do we get back to that point where we were just having a fucking good time just making shit trying to just impress each other rob told me that sison wanted the two of you to dig in on some rock beats and that's where f2f came from and sis also said there's five other songs like that straight up oh, till, oh like where she gave us like a prompt to go in yeah definitely yeah i love every, that every song holds some sort of story and she definitely was like yeah she definitely was vocal about it and we played this sort of it was just this like tag team of shit and then rob we post up at my spot and we just try and find that sauce whether it's through a jam or whether it's through just like playing each other different ideas that we've made and really just get into it but f2f yeah like when i heard that's like what she was trying to do i was like oh hell yeah just really want to flex <laughs> that muscle in the studio i'm like yo like what better person to do it for than than her I'm not trying to make hella rock music for everybody and shit or be like pulled into a certain genre but it's so much fun to explore that with her and when we did like um what was it? Like, we did a cover of, like, Kiss Me. That was, like, a live thing, and it was so fucking sick. And we played it, like, the, we played at some Australian festival, some, like, headline at some Australian festival. Teenage Dirtbag, that was the real rock joint that we did. We played Teenage Dirtbag live. <laughs> That was the fucking craziest shit. And like, we just gave us like some Twitter shout out and shit. And I was like thrashing the fuzz and shit. And I was like, yo, she's murdering this. That was the sickest shit ever. So being <laughs> able to like bottle that up and try, try and do our thing. That's what I was thinking when we were doing that. And Rob and I were like hybridizing pieces of music that we had. He had one original piece. I took something from another thing I did. And then we started fucking, and then we started like putting it together and yeah she really she took it there but also we had a night where we were like hanging in the studio with lizzo and i was like it was my turn to play tracks and shit and i was like super nervous i don't come up and play tracks all the time i'm really trying like just when i really when it really bottles up in me so i was there i played some stuff and i played lizzo and her were together and we like listened to it was called like charlatan was the beat at the time and they were crushing it and i just went into the other room i was like they're really crushing it i need to step out of the room so i don't inhibit so i don't really change up their process at all sometimes it's just me just hearing it and just i'll just really get to it i'll get into it i was like let me just go in the other room see what happens but yeah they were like they were like putting some energy into it and that's what it start. that was the thing that i feel like sparked like the like her like scissor really taking it into her own world and like figuring out how it like how it can be part of her story like in an authentic way and not hey i just did a rock joint it took a long it took some time for sure but it feels very natural she said that there's like basically enough for a rock ep and then apparently there's also other collaborations with lizzo in the vault it was like a night or two and then like my mom was in town she came through the stew and it honestly was like a full circle moment because lizzo opened for us like on our first little mini tour that i went on with SZA, and we stayed at my michigan house my mom was like cooking and stuff and it was just uh -huh. a that night was an, that was a good night. I don't even know if we got like anything done, but things were started that I think made a big, like a huge impression. That's Obviously, crazy, they, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, they, they were crushing it. I was just, I played the beats and went in the other room and hit away. <laughs> that was my job. <laughs> but that's like the extent of what I do in the big studio. Cause like most of my work gets done, my hands on work gets done here where I'm at in, in, in my studio in Glendale. So it's just better way. Yeah. Tell me about Seek and Destroy. Yeah, Seek and Destroy. Well, what a great jam. Cody, Ty, Rob, and I, That's that was like a holy jam because we're also like deeply tied together with SZA and just we were just, we were jamming and making is trying to make the hottest, most sinister shit we could. We were all jamming at the same time, basically. We captured those and then Cody and Ty started to like formula, like Cody started to put a beat to it. Ty started to edit the beat and make it sound super saucy and compress it and add add nice saturation to it and it was just this little um this little beat like we didn't have any structure to it or nothing 
because by the time we were done, Rob said, oh, I got to go to the studio, man. I got to, she just hit me. I got to go record. And he's like, just send me like, and then Ty Coden and I were just sitting there. Okay, we're just going to like finish up what we can real quick. There's not much time anyway to like sit through these. We'll be here for another 24 hours, like editing these beats, like the way we'd want to. So let's just get these ideas out. And yeah, I don't know. That's the quickest turnaround of a... (laughs) It's a quick turnaround of a beat to a song. But literally that night, like, Rob texted us, like, yo, she just cut a fire song. Literally, I was like, okay, that was, that's great. Yeah, what a sick track. I don't know, it just came together. Analog synths, the homies jamming. (laughs) Real simple, (laughs) nothing too crazy. Just capture a loop and send it off. Because if you sit on it too long, like, I know, I know I I face that fear a lot. Like, how long can I sit? I want to make it perfect. And you want that first impression to really last. But, like... How much do they really care? They just want to catch the vibe. I know I would feel the same way. Just give me a vibe. I'm in the moment. Just let me get a vibe to record to. And then we could figure it out. As long as it's not literally terrible. And it was pretty dope. For sure. And how about notice me? Notice me. Notice me was something that Michael and Teo started many moons ago when we were like, Hold up in this random Malibu rental studio. It wasn't random. It was this beautiful architectural digest <laughs> studio, and <laughs> it was beautiful. And yeah, it was really those. It was really those dudes that started it. And then it kind of sat there for a second, <laughs> and then and then it got into Pro Tools. Rob started to um, to edit it up just to clean up some of the aspects because it was like a super cool like avant garde sound in the background and like really cool like bouncy 808s. It was just raw and just a nice raw loop. So just stru- stru- he started structuring out. Cody came in after that, did some editing to did a new bounce to the drums while preserving Michael's original bounce. And then his homie Phil, Cody's homie, our homie Phil came and did some cool like additional key work and zazzed out certain parts that uh, that she was when she was like, because she was like, she made a whole beautiful like adventure with that song. It starts out one way and it go, it's just she the melodies that she's doing. It's just you didn't, you wouldn't even expect it to go there. And it's so he's he did like a lot of the little warming patches. And then I touched it in the very beginning with Michael and Teo, but it was so minimal that I forgot even what I added to it. It was like a pad and an eight oh eight. That shit didn't even matter by the time like a few month like a few weeks go by. And then Cody and Michael come to my crib to uh, to just to work on the beat together, just the two of them. And I'm like just letting the just letting them work on it. Hey, if y'all if you want to add anything to it, like I'm down. I can't, I hear something. You guys hear something. They agreed to it. I started to play some synths to it and try to chop it down. You know, I played too much and then we ended up chopping it down to a few pads and stuff like that. What was your sense in making these albums of what SZA was responding to? It's She really likes guitars, obviously doesn't want to be anything near to just an R&B artist. She wants to do all sorts of stuff. So what did you become aware of what it took to find something that would sonically appeal to her and make her want to write it? I mean, I was just like hearing like her melodies in my head, literally. There's so many different ways you can go with it. And also just finding structures that are like, n- that you can take and just do your own flip on it to be able to make it something that would be for her. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's like something you can't really, I can't really explain. Sometimes it's like the perfect interval between notes and just sometimes it's really like the perfect repetition and getting into this sort of trance. And I think that's also super important too. It's like you make a lot of music with changes that over suggest what you need to do. And it's just like making something that's like, you just like, that takes your ears on a journey and it's going to, and it's going to inspire somebody to just go along with it. Like, for example, like she, you could suggest this whole arrangement, but she's going to want to go in and draw in and outside the lines. And that's like the fun part about it. So making arrangements for that stuff to be like, this would be exciting if how she was going to, how she might interpret this. But it's really, it's intangible. It's, it really just, for me, I get super inspired by the most like minimal sign of, I don't know, like melancholic loops. I don't want to say melancholic in a cliche way, but (laughs) I could put myself into a freaking trance with my music. I'm not trying to say like, I'm super skilled. Oh man, like I'm the shit. But like, I put myself into a freaking trance. That's the type of shit that I want to give her. I want to put myself into, you know what I mean? Like I want to, you know, know what exactly I mean? Like, what you mean. I know exactly. And it makes yeah, it ma- makes me well up. That's the type of stuff that I dream. I yeah, I have whole yeah, I've t- like a, so much music that I would like love to play her. I wish she just had the infinite capacity to hear every little little cone and little like trancey 
trance, not like trance music, but just, just, I don't know, transformative moments in music, like long play stuff. But it's cool. We're, she's, she's captured this energy now, you know what I mean? And the, the reality of it is it's like, we want to be able to have that stuff, but still be able to push the energy forward and not fall into some sort of a lullaby. And, but that, that the place of the lullaby and stuff is really where that's the hypnoticness that that's just, it is so evocative for me. And then also really just going into stuff and being like, hey, like, where can we like play? I don't know, try new things or it's almost like playing dress up, but it's really our shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. And it, there are, I know what you mean, because there's a lot of like great vibey atmospheric moments, like great outros that get real trippy, like obviously paid a lot of attention to that kind of thing when you're making the album. I think that they happen when they're like when it's like captured in the beat if you're like doing this whole jam and there's all these different pieces it's really just like figuring out how to sort of like yeah exactly i'd love to make those little like treats those little moments where you could take a breath where you could listen or you could say something different and that's like even even in kill bill like when the verses go down to a halftime feel it's like creating some sort of a an area where you really just want to take a breath and come with a new flow and come or just or just let the music speak but with Kill Bill, it was like trap. It was a random trap beat for like a day. And then it was like, nah, 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 nah. This isn't, I can't just do that. I got to like get it. It's got to feel smokier, you know? <laughs> got to feel smokier, a little bit more puffier and creamier sounding, you know? Because the sample was kind of like smoky and creamy sounding, you know? Nobody Gets Me is one of my favorites. Nobody gets me. Yo, Benny called me up and he's like, hey, and we had a mutual friend, Blake Slack, and Benny's, I'd met Benny before through Blake, and Benny hit me up and he's like, yo, this is trying to work. I know you guys work a bunch. Let's do some stuff. I'm curious to see like what, what you guys are vibing on. I'm just trying to pick our brains. And then we got to cooking right away and just got to, we got to, we shared a similar ear when it came down to taste. And I was just stoked to just discuss different musical ideas, like what we could do that would be like a real, that would be like a real treat. And Figuring out those spaces, we have a whole, we have so many we have so many random dope tracks with her. Honestly, not some, but we have some shit. <laughs> but this one was like I don't know what we were like what we were really listening to. Whether it was like Glastonbury or like different like moments of the '90s and stuff like that, but not trying to cl- capture like cliche '90s. Just give you like this palette where you can say the most the most tell all song basically, and it still relate to the whole world. And it was like just finding, capturing those chords was the first, was like the most important part. And it's such a, it's really just such a natural, like such a natural feeling puts you in that nostalgic state in that Glastonbury state, you know, of mind where you're just like playing this acoustic in front of like thousands of people or like the hundreds of thousands of people. And they're all just there. They've been rocking out all day. And this is just that thing that's just like bringing everyone together, even like the toughest people. Basically, then we made our music and then she came over and we played her different ideas and working out that song was like a real was a real process and i was just patient i was patient with her while she went through the different things that was really that really would be meaningful to this track and i, mean, I the, can't the, speak the... on i can't speak on all the details on her behalf but it was like there's it's try to base it in as much in something that you really experienced. The chorus, man, is it's like a, a huge pop chorus. It could be like, could be Coldplay, could be a, a million One Republic, like some kind of huge pop rock thing. It's gigantic. I know. I don't, I came, it's thin air, just co- like coaching, like letting her just find it. And when she feels like, when she feels like hopping up to the mic, just to be there to help capture that moment. And Benny was super instrumental having that patience and realizing like when the moment is right there and it's just there and you just had to grab it. And that's what happened in at the stew with us together in his spot. And I'm on a, I'm on a beanbag cheering him on then waiting to add a bunch of other instruments to it. (laughs) (laughs) We're just trying to be there in the room to be supportive in that sense. And in part of the discussion, but it's just something that she has to work out and melodies. She's the melodies come to her. Like, I don't know. It's like outer space, man. Literally. So she just beamed him up and there they were. And Benny was like, look, this is so amazing. You got to believe in yourself. He's the man. And we all just believed, sat there and, and believed until we had something and really just, yeah, that was that one. Yeah. 
So you play keyboards, guitar, drums, bass. Yeah. Did I miss anything? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I play a lot of instruments and I also am trying to play less and be able to just see the broader, see the bigger picture. But yeah, no, I love to mess with all sorts of, I love to interface with all types of effects and instruments in the same curiosity. I thought I was going to be an amazing bass player. I thought I was going to be an amazing. I just want to eventually like that would be that would have been cool. But now it's just understanding how to interface with all this stuff. Just how to disappear that barrier between you and that that physical instrument. So whatever's coming out of your mind, you can just get that. So, yeah. But as far as like theory goes and everything, I have to I always have to take a step back to make sure I'm not. Yeah, I have a lot to learn. still, basically. But yeah, I play a lot of stuff and I'm trying to, I'm trying to har- you know, harbor the energy of my other homies and be able to give them a place to, to create as well, like with the studio and go to other studios and bring a weird instrument with me just to inspire, you know, the general, the general vibe. I don't think we talked about blind. I can see I'm blind, 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 Which has a really beautiful chorus. Tell me about the origins of that one. Blind. Blind. Yeah, it came about, and it's a beautiful way it came about. We were trying to make some orchestral type of stuff for her, but not not a cliche classical vibe. I think we were inspired by some music that had just come out that was very minimal and like beautifully haunting. So, yeah, I think it was perfect timing. Rob said, hey, we should try and make some stuff like this. And fortunately, we had a day with Yuli and my friend Will Miller. Yuli is an incredible string player and arranger and composer. And my friend Will is, they're both so good. My friend Will is from Chicago. He plays with this band Whitney. He has his own project called Reservoir. The four of us, Rob, Yuli, Will, and I had a jam and we made maybe 20 so piece clips of music. (laughs) And out of those clips of music, we had some things that had like multiple layers that were Really feeling like we could arrange them out, and um, yeah, we we arranged them out, and songs started happening. When Rob came back with the blind, and with the PSA or potting season. I was I was like, holy, these are the crazy bars. They were so good. I was like, okay, so I was like, so now we got to get back to work on this. So then Rob and I started to go and we added vocal layers, we added our voices. And arranged some stuff out and with blind. We add, we um, added some string, some synthetic string layers to the end and stuff. And we had one half was in the end of a shirt video, and then the other half got released based when she did SNL, and the full thing got released the album. But this, it was a saga. Like it started off just being um, this, just this insane, just insane lyrics, and then we really built it out into. It was gonna have drums for a second too, but not like trap drums and. I tried some stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't a hit. So we kept the, we really just kept it open and really embellished that ending just to have that nice swelling moment and just that ethereal, I don't know, I'm trying to throw words out there that describe it, but it's like kind of <laughs> other, it's kind of other, it's some otherworldly vibe. Yeah, but it, Rob on the guitar, Will playing this cool, this crazy synth trumpet from the 70s. And then Yuli playing her strings. And then I helped capture the moment with them and played some stuff. But sometimes I got to step out in order for the right shit to happen. Because I don't want to just be going in there and just playing some random stuff. So the best time for me to step in on the track was when we got the thing there. And I started to build it out. And then added that. And then helped create that outro. That took place at the Glendale Stew. And it was a beautiful, sunny living room afternoon. Cranking them out. And I wish we could do that day a thousand times. Same with the Cody Tide day with Rob. And yeah, every each of these songs is so special. Rob said he started on this album like at the beginning of 2020. Were you on it? And that's basically when the stuff that started like really making the album started happening. But were you working on earlier sessions even than that for this? Like, for example, Notice Me, it's 2019. That'll, uh, that was before 2020, that's for sure. So that was before 2020. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Good Days was 2018, so that was before 2020. So she was recording, like, well before 2020, obviously. Yeah, but just, like, in spurts, in the moments that they mattered, like, when she went up to the mic, it mattered. 
Otherwise, she's not going to just do random, just to entertain it. Like, it mattered. So I feel like she, because we were also on tour for a while, too. So it wasn't until anyway, and halfway through 2019, or the, the first part, that we were done with tour, actually. So it wasn't really the ability to make an album. But, like, after that, we holed up in this, like, Malibu rental stew, which was sick. The Architectural Digest spot or whatever. And then she went to Hawaii, and Rick linked Rob with her, and the rest was history, baby. No, it was honestly, it was sick. And then, like, what happened during COVID is Rob and I started, like, getting together to do these little, like, random streaming, like, video things. But it was awesome. And we were, like, tag-teaming that type of stuff. And then we started making music together. And that was definitely full 2020 vibes. So I totally agree. The album got the biggest push happened this year, too, in my mind. Obviously, there was a lot of stuff made in 2021. But I think everything from, everything in 2022 was really, like, that's when you started feeling, hey, we got to do this shit. Like, it's been some years. And I, and it was feeling more creative, too. The vibe of being able to see each other and get in the studio together, finally, and not being in the wake of the vid, of the COVIDs. So which tracks started from scratch this year? Let's see what Kill Bill says. I, I was actually searching that session earlier, because I originally, like, Rob had made this piece of music. We called it, he called it Igloo. And it was, <laughs> like, super beautiful just those like main those chords that come in like that and i was like trying to make some trap beat around it i instantly deaded that i don't even know i think i just i like to try and make several beats around something but i think yeah that was a 2022 as well may 2022 so that was kill bill i'd say love language was a few years ago that was actually love language that was 2019 cody and i when we were at that uh when we were at that rental spot blind was this year Notice me was at the rental spot. Gone Girl was this year. That was that's a basker, a meal, a meal thing. Cody brought over to the crib and we and then sticks and Rob and it was a whole everything, man. Ghost in the Machine was this year. F2F was last year, but man, just I'm just naming them and shit. Nobody gets yeah. me was this year. Conceited this year. Special this year. Too late this wow. year. Far this year. Shirt not this year. Open Arms. I think it was last year, but borderline i hate you this year good days many years ago forgiveless last year or at least maybe this year but yo most of the shit this year <laughs> basically that's amazing basically. all this other work was then in part a journey towards figuring out what would really work for this particular project then oh hell yeah everything even like everything even like the like, dear evan hansen thing that we did for her in shows like that was like rock exploration without having to stand all the way there's all sorts of even the many things that weren't released that were like it'd be like the chekhov's gun to some of these songs and even melodically there's tracks that homies have with her on it that i'm like damn so that's actually the melody she used for this song now but not the same it's not like she recycled stuff it's just like in the end of the day even musically we're all gonna we're all gonna have this overlap until we find the best version of that thing and sometimes too when you feel like the door is closing when you feel like the time it's time to go and you have to leave and stuff that's when you really bottle up that's when you put that work in i know for me like sometimes forcing myself to make do trap drums on eight beats or something in in an hour or something like that i might make a sick idea versus spending eight hours on one idea it's kind of like you know we bottled up that energy and everything is just a preparation for that moment and so maybe the moment was this year it was like a big performance and every day was that so i love that absolutely not that you know the music uh, that was started so yeah i'm curious since you say everything was kind of on the road to this was kiss me more with doja cap was that part of the road to this album in some ways it was like a beautiful moment that happened in that happened in between it was like one of those things that was just a sick thing to happen it wasn't something that she was like i'm like super planning on on, on this and this is like my thing it just was like a natural thing it's like hey you know what this is this is sick i'd love to do this and she was just like she probably just yo this is amazing i'd love to get down on this track this sounds super fun i don't know what this is this is doja's thing so this, it was doja's thing but they they together there's they made such a strong like they had they had their own sort of dna to it and yeah i think it was a really awesome like head turner and such a fun track for people last year like to bop whether or not she felt like it was doge's or hers or whoever what the hell it was such a cool track man and they i think that was like a really helpful 
thing to just have just like a nice positive vibe that was also like also kind of sinister too it wasn't as as like fun and upbeat as the track was it was just it was had its own aggressiveness to it and she like put her own spin on it so she's not i could do whatever but i'm gonna make sure that shit is fire and i'm not gonna let any whack shit come out basically that's to me because it's like that beat so uppity and poppity you know what i mean and she, the way she got on it was like nah it was like she turned she flipped it upside down stylistically so did doja but sizza put she she put it down and the way like we had her like yeti and i were working on it at my spot very at the very end just like doing minor arrangement stuff and really the main thing we were trying to do is figure out hey like where like how how are we going to make these verses like work together and hey there's something there we created a nice little entrance for for scissor to just just an open section and then the beat drops in and formulaically not that i'm going to do that on every track but that's just a fire formula you just you have to open the curtains a little bit before just a second verse with the feature you think about how you're going to do a scene change how the camera is going to pan and what it's going to be like and that was just like just to create it with a little subtlety whether it's dropping something out filtering something or putting a snare in a weird place before it drops and there's some shit i was super lucky to be a part of it because like i had nothing to do with the track until yeti was like hey says it got on it you should like we should like finesse it and i was happy to be a part of it in any way but she yeah it was dope something fresh to just tie the people over man and she's constantly like just like finds the best times to tie the people over crazy every time she puts it out it's okay you got the people for now and then now this oh my god i don't even know it's better tie people <laughs> over if this doesn't tie people over no nah, but we're gonna come with some shit we come up with more shit she's already promising all sorts of stuff for the deluxe so i guess that's the very next thing i swear to god i mean yeah you're gonna see some <laughs> new yeah you're gonna definitely see some new stuff you're gonna hopefully see some stuff that she promised all those vibes it's gonna be a we're gonna go we're gonna have to go back into the office all right <laughs> it's gonna be great though the saga ain't over yet and i also don't want to feel like it's over the shit gave me a, it gives me a purpose part of my identity as much as i feel like it's at, it's been like a real like a real journey and it's been exhausted it's been the most fun it's the most fun ever and the biggest blessing to be able to work on something like that you're that, that it's just it's becoming this living breathing organism so it's part of me just i don't want it to be over <laughs> and i don't and i don't tour with her anymore because i'm in the stew so much and it's just like oh man like what the hell's gonna so now what <laughs> no, it's all good i'm excited though <laughs> i'm super i'm excited i'm excited to like just to to yeah open the doors for the next saga of music and try and make yeah try and figure out what the what the next thing that's just gonna inspire us and honestly it's helped put helped push me and my abilities to be better for this sos album and i really am looking forward for more experiences where i could be like in the driver's seat to obviously co still collaborate but like i'm just down to get more experience with the homies and that's to me that's like the that's the shit that i know is gonna happen for sure whether or not the tracks are going to come out, I don't know. But we're going to make some fire <laughs> shit and we're going to increase our experiences and whatever we need to use those experiences for, that'll be the best shit. And that's our show for today. Please go and subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And maybe leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because that's always deeply appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.